This podcast is brought to you by Arc Facilities, providing instant mobile access to facility information for on-the-go teams. To learn more about our smart building technology, visit arcfacilities.com. And now, welcome to the Facility Voices podcast with your host, David Trask. This is Facility Voices, the podcast that brings you real-world FM experiences from the front lines in the field. I'm extremely happy to invite on our show today, Mike Terrell. He's a Senior Director of Operations, Facilities Management at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Okay. Well, facilities is not the career I started in. Uh, It's almost an accidental career for me. I spent 40 years in the commercial nuclear power industry up until 2017. And then due to cutbacks, I ended up in 2018 at William & Mary in their facilities department as a senior project manager helping them grow and improve their campus. In 2021, I found the opportunity to come back home to Lynchburg and here at Liberty University. And so I have only been in facilities for about five years now. So, Wow. Short but sweet trip, I bet. Yes. <laughs> that's really, great. really well, enjoying it. Oh, that's awesome. And welcome back home. I'm sure that was a nice change. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So tell us a little bit about Liberty and your role within Liberty. Okay. Liberty was started in 1971, so we're just over 50 years old. We have grown tremendously since, of of course, 1971. We had a big building boom in 2010 where we doubled the amount of space that we have. We're currently at about just over seven and a half million square feet of space here on campus. And Liberty is the largest Christian university in the nation, one of the top 10 campuses in the country as far as size is concerned. So my role here in the facilities department, the title is a little bit deceiving, operations director. Typically, what I have seen in other universities is the operations and management function sort of go together, but we've split that out here. So we have a director of of maintenance that does all the maintenance. So my real focus right or since I got here has been to help implement several initiatives for improvement to prepare us for the next 50 years as a university. The biggest one that I've been working on is implementing an integrated workplace management system to replace the CMMS that was here since 2005. Oh, wow. So that's been one of the biggest challenges so far. We're, we're getting close to going live with that program. After about just under a year of implementation, we're going to roll it out the first of the year. So we start training our technicians next month. That's awesome. I love the growth and, and it sounds like a vision for the future. Yes, that's exactly what we're trying to do. If you don't mind, in addition to that initiative, we have several others where we're really focusing on energy usage uh, in our our buildings. And so we're creating several initiatives to submeter, water, gas, electric, you know, air. So all the wages, as they call them, water, air, gas, electricity, and steam uh, across our campuses. So we, we can better control that. And we have a, another initiative called the single pane of glass, where we want to pull all the information from our BAS systems, from our submeters, onto a dashboard that management can use to say, hey, 
we need to focus in this area to cut the, the cost in this section of our portfolio. That's great. That's really great. And obviously, that's a great initiative. I hear that at, at other campuses, too, that, you know, energy and even green initiatives are a big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of the unique challenges that you really face at Liberty? One of the, the biggest challenges we face is the fact that we actually doubled in size in the past few years and we're still growing. We just put online a new dining facility, 116,000 square foot facility, and we're building a new dormitory, Women's Four. So the constant growth and then the change of technology that's happened over the course of that time period has caused us to really think about how in, in the world are we going to maintain all these assets? Because frankly, they're all going to come due for replacement at about the same time. So <laughs> we've got to be real smart in the way we handle our capital needs as well. And then, of course, like everybody else, we're facing an aging workforce. It Not only is our workforce aging, but folks don't stay around long. The young folks, they are willing to move around more than the folks our age were. The days of coming to a company and starting your career there and, and retiring there, I think are gone. That's a big issue for us. I hear that story. It's, it seems to be a common theme, you know, nationwide. It's funny because it, it's all industries too. And as I travel and go to conferences, I keep hearing the the rinse and repeat. It's the I can't find people. I'm losing some of the key people that I've got, whether it's to the retirement or they're losing people because they just get another job up the, up the road, you yes. know, and it's a problem. And I, I think the other challenge is there's just not enough folks coming in into the industry from the outside, looking at it even as a career to backfill what's going out. Right. Especially in the trades. And Lynchburg is a bit unique. We're a very high technology-based city with a couple of nuclear companies here in town and, and others. And Liberty is one of the largest employers in the area, major contributor to the economic benefit of, of the area. But it's with that high technology, they those folks pay more than universities pay. Mm -hmm. So you can lose folks pretty quickly if you're not competitive. Well, how have retirements really impacted or have you seen a big impact on your response times or even has it limited any of the timeframes, like even on your projects or anything that you're trying to do, whether it's internal or working without external vendors? Great question. We have seen some, I'll call them delayed response times and how we actually go about responding to work. Frankly, we're having to run equipment to failure because we just don't have the resources mm -hmm. to do the preventive maintenance right now. And that's one of another one of our initiatives to streamline our preventative maintenance practices and focus more on that so that uh, we're not doing as much corrective. And then we're right on the cusp of a lot of folks retiring from the maintenance organization, key folks. And so what we're trying to do with the integrated workplace management system is capture all that head knowledge in procedures and processes that are written and enshrined in the machine, not in the brain of the individual that's going to walk out the door. So. Well, and I think, you know, you're doing it the right way because at the end of the day, you've got to start somewhere and that's capturing that institutional knowledge because like you said, you can't get that back when it's gone. No, it walks out the door and it is gone. Yeah. And it's unfortunately, it's happening more and more. I'm hearing 
there's been that, I call it the steamroller. It's coming and everybody knows it's coming, but in many cases it's here. And what do you do with that? And I think the proactive approach versus a reactive. And even though you mentioned that you're doing some of it run to fail just because you don't have enough folks to do it. I think part of the underlying other issue too, Mike, is even if it fails, you can't get the stuff to replace it anyway with the supply chain issues. Right. And we have, in order to offset that, we have stockpiled a lot more inventory than we probably should. So managing all that inventory has been a challenge as well. Sure. Sure. Speaking of inventory, you know, we were talking offline before we started the podcast here about some of the things that you might be looking at outsourcing or what are some of the things that you're outsourcing. So tell us a little bit about some of those initiatives that you've got going on. Okay. So we are working with a company to outsource our inventory management and take over the management of our warehouse to help us understand what we're using in maintenance so that we can basically reduce the amount of inventory that we have and we can free up we're estimating three to five people to go do other things by outsourcing this function, reduce the amount of inventory we maintain on campus, and then get everything delivered just as we need it. So we're looking at that for custodial and also for consumables in our maintenance department. And even we have an aviation school here, so we're, we're talking to them about the unique parts and tools that they have to have and the issuing and tracking, controlling those expensive tools as well. There's a lot of folks around campus and other organizations that will ultimately get pulled into this overall effort and benefit from being able to free folks up to do other things that are more important or not. I don't want to sound like inventory control is not important, but maintaining the equipment to me is more important than making sure I got the piece parts I need sitting on a shelf that that may sit there six months instead of having a supplier that can come in and provide it in a few days. That's great. I think that's great. And it's great that you're able to identify the real value or return on investment, I should say, for doing that is, is you're freeing up those people and adding them back into able to kind of plug and play those folks where, where it makes more sense to take that load off. Right. And in addition to those direct impacted employees, We also have another initiative where we're looking at autonomous space analytics to count the number of folks that are in a given area over a given period of time so that we can factor that information into, okay, we didn't use this classroom as much as we thought we were going to. It didn't get used last night, so we don't need to send custodial folks in to clean that area because it wasn't used or it was lightly used. We don't have to hire as many custodians or contract custodians to come in and help clean areas that aren't used as much as we thought they were. And also, we can look at the energy consumption as well and start tracking that and fine-tuning our BS controls. Oh, I love that. And it sounds like it's a lot of these initiatives that you're putting into place are helping you right-size the team, too. That's one of the goals is because as we lose people... We need to make it easier for them to do their work. So what I call the work around the work. So tracking what they've done in a work order or in a preventative maintenance procedure, the more it's check boxes and starting and stopping timers, the easier it's going to be for them to use these new tools and do the work as opposed to the work around the work. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the right approach there, too. And what are some of the average tenures of your team? From what I, I don't have the exact statistics, but just looking around at the folks in the we have over 100 maintenance technicians, hmm. I would say the average age is 50 plus. Got you. So, you know, we've got some very good, experienced folks that don't need much direction, that they know what needs to be done. They don't need to be told, now you need to go do this and then this and then this. Mm -hmm. But again, that knowledge that they have, we need to get out of their heads into our machines so that the younger folks that are working alongside them can not only absorb the mentoring type relationship that we've got set up, but we're capturing it in the tool so that when we hire somebody else new or we need to fine tune the process, we know what to do. That's great. That's really great. So talk a little bit about some of the recruiting that you guys have done and, and what are some of the things that you're doing to really retain those folks and, and keep them from leaving? That's a good question. We just had a, a change in our upper leadership. We got a new president this year. We're right in the middle of developing the strategic plan for 24 through 29. And one of the things that we're doing, we're soliciting, it's a multi-step process to put that together, but we're soliciting input from everyone on campus on what are the environmental issues that are impacting the university? What are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats that we'll be facing in the future? And then compiling all that information with our various management teams and, and other departments to determine, okay, what's the strategic direction we need to go? One of those initiatives that we know is coming is we have to figure out how we're going to indeed bring in more people, train them appropriately, and pay them what the value is that they're bringing to the university without adversely impacting the tuition rates for the students because we're here because of the students. And if we're not serving their needs, they don't need us to be here. I love that. I look at the resident students, the faculty, the parents, anybody who comes is a client, a customer for facilities, and we're all there to serve them, you know, and and I think that's the right approach. It sounds like that you've also addressed there at Liberty, but you mentioned that you've got a new leadership change. How is their involvement with you in developing this program and what's their feedback? And again, because they're new, I don't know how long they've been on site, but what is that? I think you mentioned it, but what is that relationship that facilities has with leadership in this approach moving forward? Great question. So at my level, I haven't had any direct interfaces with our new president who's only been here since July, but my boss, our senior vice president of facilities, reports to the provost, who reports to the president. So there's I've seen an uptick in the interactions at the level above me or levels above me in talking about where are we, where do we need to go? So all that strategic thinking is coming from our new president, I think, who's retired Air Force general and uh, got a lot of experience, came to us from another university prior to coming here. So we're really excited about the changes that are going to be coming. That's great. I think sometimes, you know, new new people means new vision, and that can be a very good thing because they can bring some things to the table with fresh eyes. Right. And along that line, I put in a plug for another initiative I started with one of my former colleagues at William & Mary. It's called the Virginia University's Community of Practice. And so we're getting ready in the 1st of October to have our fourth meeting where we pull 
individuals from the facilities areas and other areas, if we can, from universities around the state or the Commonwealth, I should say, to share ideas on what they're doing so that we can learn from one another and develop a cycle of learning. And so this coming meeting will be at Virginia Tech. So far, we've got 12 different universities that are coming, total of almost 60 people right now that will be showing up for a day and a half event just to, to share with each other on, on some of the initiatives that we're doing. I love that. I, I love it. It's, a, it's almost a peer group. Yes, it is. Oh, that's great. That's great. We, I believe we, I really subscribe to the mantra that we all learn from each other. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love that. So talk to me a little bit about some of the other training processes that you've put into place. I've heard from several orgs around the country that they're struggling trying to find people. So they've almost built a homegrown apprentice program in-house where they've leaned on, instead of just looking for skilled trades, they're actually hiring more generalists, training them up internally and providing them the resources to go to school for those certifications and things like that. But talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you're doing there. And then are there any other things that you guys are considering as part of your long-term growth plan? Great question again. So I know that our director of maintenance is looking at how can we work with the other universities in the area and also the community colleges and other companies in setting up apprentice programs. We're even looking at, from what I hear in the rumor mill, that Liberty is looking at trying to to do something in-house as far as craft trade type school and working with other companies here. Again, we're competing with companies that are already doing that in the technical fields. We have a very shallow pool of folks to draw from right now. Again, that is something I have seen in the uh, environmental scan that we did to say, you know, what are, what are the things that are impacting us from outside? And the fact that we don't have a formal program yet to do that is one of the things that's going to bubble up into our strategic plan. Got you. Because it's so hard, you mentioned that you're in a kind of a bubble where you are with a limited pool of people. You mentioned outsourcing part of what you're doing with your inventory and things. Are there other things that you've looked at as far as outsourcing and and what kind of an impact or have you looked at the ROI on any of that stuff? Yeah, we have. In fact, most of the outsourcing that we do in facilities happens in two areas. One is custodial. I should say custodial and grounds maintenance, because those are two areas that use a lot of subcontract labor. The other is during the summer. You know, things go crazy during the summers at a university because the students are gone and now we can get back into the dorms and completely turn those rooms over. And we've got three high rise dorms with just over 12 to 1500 rooms per dorm, plus another 40 other living facilities. We have a lot of work to do over the summer. So we'll subcontract out a lot of folks during the summer to help us with our summer maintenance programs for you know changing filters, painting, patching walls, and those sorts of things. The summer's always the busy stuff. Like you said, kids are gone, faculties, much of the faculty's gone too. So it's that mad rush for those months. Exactly. And in fact, the mad rush for those months has actually caused us to delay the rollout of our IWMS by about three months so that 
the maintenance folks can get through the summer, catch their breath, and then go through the training for the new system. Mm -hmm. So the rollout of new things isn't on our clock always. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what it means, what you feel it means when you lose key people and, and what's the impact on facilities? Yeah, the impact, if we haven't, which we haven't yet captured all that knowledge, is we're in another learning cycle. We had a changeover about a less than a year ago in our HVAC department where we put a new person in charge of filter changes, for example. And I was talking to the to the individual a couple of months ago and was told, hey, we're finding HVAC units we didn't even know we had. The filters that hadn't been changed in two years. <laughs> so they're, again, doubled in size. And now we're going, oh, my goodness, we don't have quite en enough information about what we have. When I got here, we had 4,000 assets in the CMMS. We're up to over 13,000 right now and anticipating somewhere between 15 and 16,000 will be the final number. Oh, it's the never ending challenge of chasing your tail. Yes. <laughs> I hate to say it like that, but that's kind of the way it is. It's, I mean, it sounds funny to say it that way because it's, you know, when you're short staffed, you don't have enough people. You're not able to, like you even mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation about run to fail. Sometimes it's run to fail because you don't know where stuff is. So exactly. like you said, no one no one changed those filters for years. You know, unfortunately, this is a story I've heard before as far as other orgs that they'll pop a ceiling tile and realize, wait a minute, there's a fan coil up there. And then they they can't even pull the filter out. It's so clogged, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and the coils are just caked. You know, I wonder why it doesn't cool the area or heat the area. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or it's in an area that, you know, just isn't a high traffic area. So no one's just sitting there. So they don't call when it's 80 degrees in that room. No one's in there to complain about it. The challenge is we call those, and I, I, I coined this term of, of either ghost or zombie assets, we call it. And those are the ones, they're out there. You don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you don't know right. what the environmental impact of them is. But more importantly, meaning the environment that's in that space that it's it's supposed to be supposed to be cooling or heating, the, the challenge is they're not even in the work order system. They're not even on a PM schedule. The challenge is how do you maintain that? What is some of the I know you mentioned some of these other processes that you're you're putting into place, even being that coming into play. Because you're short-staffed, you know, what are you able to do as far as stopping that gap as well? Great question. And let me back up just a second. Yeah. The knowledge about those, the, the example that you're talking about with a Finkel unit up in the, the ceiling, at one point, someone knew it was there, but they're <laughs> yeah. gone now. They're gone now. And so it's not in the box. That's so right. we really are trying to focus on, okay, what are all the piece parts that we have? and document them, tie procedures, tie O&M manuals to them, and make sure we're focusing on the PM aspect of the things that, that can and should be PM'd. Now, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the assets that are going to be in, in folks' system, they're not going to have to do PMs on them. It's just you need to know they're there so that you can do capital planning, you can do replacement planning, et cetera, but you don't have to do the PMs. And so we're really right now focusing on the things that we know we have to do PMs on. 
as I said, 13,000 assets now, probably headed to 16. That number is not going to be stagnant. We're going to continue to add data to the to our system as we go. You hit it on the head. Your data is on always going to be evolving. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what do you think some of the success factors are in building a successful? What is your long-term goal in building a successful team? And what do you recommend for somebody that's looking to build their team? Great question. So I told you 40 years commercial nuclear power industry was how I started my career. During that whole time, I was a project manager. And so the three key important things that a project manager needs to understand, one is communication. Two is communication. Three is communication. So I take that whole philosophy into what I'm doing now in the operations facility management field to make sure we're communicating what our vision is, make sure we have goals and objectives that align with that vision and folks know what the vision is and they know and accept what their roles and responsibilities are towards achieving that vision. And then I want to give them the tools that they need in order to perform the tasks that we're asking them to do. And then as management, we need to be aware of the challenges they're facing and the roadblocks that they encounter so that we can get those things out of the way so that they can do what we're asking them to do. I had a boss one time years ago when I was doing a lot of work with the computer, doing scheduling and planning all in the computer. He called me into his office one time. He says, Terrell, the answer's not in the box. It's out there in the cubes. Go talk to the folks in the cubes. And that was a valuable lesson. And so understanding what your folks are facing and come alongside and help them because you're not going to know all the answers. And if they bring you a question, say, what should we do about this? The first thing I ask back is, what do you think we should do? Because usually they're coming to me because they have an idea, but they don't know how to to express that idea or they're afraid that the idea may not be a good one. And so I don't want them to put the monkey on my back to solve the problem for them. I want them to tell me what they think should be done and we'll talk about it. We'll come to a consensus on, on what the correct action should be and then move forward. I love that. That's great advice. And I love your three keys for success there. And again, communication, communication, communication. And I love the open door, asking the an open-ended question back to them too, because I think where a lot of organizations struggle is they don't give their teams a voice. It's a challenge and it's do as I say, and, and then the team is a bunch of sheep and they're just yeah. following directions. The problem is that person is not always going to be right. Yeah. We got a lot of smart folks that are working for us. And if they think that I'm going to have the answers, well, we're in bad shape. (laughs) I always say hire. Was that that quote by what was a Steve Jobs? I hire something like I hire smart people and let them do their job. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I want to be surrounded by people who are smarter than me. That's right. That's right. Because then they just make you look good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you most proud of with your team? Now, you haven't been there that long, but what are some of the things that you're really proud of with regards to your team? I think the most satisfying thing that I'm experiencing right now is the fact that they're open to change. 
that's when I first got here, I can't tell you how many people came to me and said, hey, the system we have just doesn't work. We need to replace it. We've been trying to get it replaced for several years, but we're not getting any traction. It took from the time I got here to when we had management's approval and a contract in place about a year to get the contract in place for our IWMS system. And we're coming up on 10 months now since we started implementation. And again, we delayed that about three months because of summer maintenance work. So I'm really excited about not only have they embraced the change, but we're moving at a really good pace to get 7,000 or 7 million square feet of space mapped out on our CAD drawings and categorized under the FICM codes and identifying all those assets. I've had summer workers and student workers helping us collect data. And so it's been a team effort and I can't thank our IT team enough for all the cooperation and assistance we're getting from them. A really good relationship with our IT department. And if you don't have that in your university, you need to really work on that relationship because they're valuable partners to the technology age that we're in. Well, I love the teamwork. I've heard that from you several times during this call. It's the team and the team approach. It's it's not an I, it's, a, it's the team. And that builds a successful culture within an organization for sure. Mike, uh, tell me, I always like to end on a funny, what's the craziest thing that you've been asked since you've been there? What's a funny that you just made you a head scratcher that you've had since you've been with Liberty? Gosh, a head scratcher. It's kind of a crazy thing, but it's not really that funny. So for insurance purposes, we have a lot of vehicles here. You know, Liberty owns and maintains a ton of buses and vehicles and stuff. But in order for me to drive one of those things, I had to take a driver's test. Now, I've been driving for over 40 years, (laughs) but I had to take a road test (laughs) in a pickup truck with dually tires on the back and a the transportation director or transit director, I should say, that gave me the road test was just jerking the new guy's chain, took me downtown with some of the tightest spaces with cars parked on the side of the road just to see how I would handle it. I came back and had to back that monster into a space that was between two cars. It took me about three tries to get into the space. He's laughing at me the whole time. <laughs> I thought you said that wasn't going to be a funny one. <laughs> it wasn't funny for me at the time. I was stressed to the max. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> well, Mike, listen, thank you so much for joining me today. And, and I really appreciate it. And for the audience, I really hope you will catch us on the next podcast of Facility Voices. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Thanks for tuning in to Facility Voices, a podcast that explores the big issues and challenges facing the facility management industry today. We welcome your feedback, ideas, and suggestions for topics and guests. Send an email to communications at arcfacilities.com or reach out to our host, David Trask, on LinkedIn. Facility Voices is brought to you by Arc Facilities.